Hello and welcome to the Cognitive Engineering Podcast produced by me, Fraser McGurra, for Aleph Insights. In this series of podcasts, we take a look at interesting topics and discuss what we think they tell us about analysis and decision-making. I'm here with Nick Hare and Chris Ragg of Aleph Insights. And this week we're discussing politicians' pay. Chris, could you kick us off, please? Well, yeah, I mean, this is sort of um, partly um, partly sparked by, by a couple of things, really. One of the main ones is the um, the recent, uh, fairly recent political furore over um, Owen Paterson, uh, the um, British MP who had been, I think, formerly um, Secretary of State for, for Northern Ireland and uh, various other kind of cabinet type roles. Um, and since being a backbencher, Mm-hmm. Um, had been involved in, um, well, I suppose, what used to be called lobbying or, or advocacy on, on behalf of um, a Northern Ireland healthcare company called Randox, uh, and this would have been, I suspect, a bit of a, a bit of a side story, you know, made the the back pages of of, of, of the the press. Had it not been for the fact that. Um, Sorry to interrupt, but he was lobbying on their behalf, or was he also paid by them? Yes, he was paid by them. Yes, exactly. Yes. So, so he was um, he was receiving money uh, yeah. to work on their their behalf to uh, to yeah. advocate on their behalf. Yeah, um, and that's in its in its most plain form. That's not you know allowed by the the parliamentary standards uh, committees and and the rules that they've uh, they've set. Um, and but I think it would have all been was kind of washed over and been a you know a, a storm in a, a teacup had it not been for the fact that um, Boris Johnson sort of um, put a lot of political capital into defending him mm. and everybody thought needlessly and it and it kind of you know fundamentally undermined the government for a period of time and they're only you know and then a whole series of other catastrophe or or crises happened that have um you know subsequently been picked up so um so it 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 became you know a sort of focus of um of media attention for for a period of time uh but fundamentally um and you know subsequently there have also been sort of reviews recent reviews of um uh, MPs pay and so on um, and what it got me thinking is um, you know the link between how much we pay our politicians you know and they're they're not um, uh, the the actual sort of um, salary for a basic MP is uh, just under 82,000 pounds mm. um, which is you know well above the the uh, kind of um, national median salary, but it's not comparable to uh, you know leadership positions in in the private sector. And it got mm-hmm. me thinking: well, what's the right amount to pay a politician to ensure that they don't have to go elsewhere uh, to meet their their ambitions in terms of you know remuneration um, and, and for and, it to be more or less in line with one what one would expect of someone in that sort of position within a yeah that's that's, that's right but but would basically would you get better politicians would you get less um you know i wouldn't say corruption but would you get less vested interests uh, mm. and and um uh, ambiguity about where people's interests lie if you paid more money so that that is what i was essentially thinking what's the right amount to pay a politician uh 
you know, given their roles and responsibilities to make sure you attract the right people, but also to make sure that they don't um, spend all their time uh, getting money from elsewhere. Yep, good. Um, nicely introduced. Um, Nick? Yeah, well, let's just look at some facts uh, about MPs' pay. <laughs> MPs in the UK weren't paid at all until 1911 when they started getting a salary of £400 a year. Uh, which is about fifty thousand pounds in today's money, but that's not that's not that's about prices, not about wages. So I'll get onto wages in a sec. Um, it by uh, the mid sixties, they were being paid about thirty, uh, sorry, three thousand two hundred fifty pounds a year, and that was that's equivalent in today's money to about sixty to seventy thousand. Mm. Um, and uh, by nineteen eighty. It, in real terms, it actually gone down a bit. Uh, it was only that was after the inflation of the seventies. MPs pay did not keep up with that, um, and so it, it, it was only by about nineteen ninety that MPs were getting paid in real terms um, what they were getting paid in the sixties. But then since then, there's been you know a reasonable increase in um, in in sort of real. MPs pay and as Chris says they're now getting paid about 80,000 a year but in terms of multiple of a salary it's actually as high as it's ever been as far as I can tell when it was first introduced when um when the the average salary was something like 70 pounds a year so they were getting a multiple of, of sort of five to six times the average salary by the mid 1940s that had fallen to around double the average salary and and then it fell almost at the average salary by about 1980 and it's since recovered. So in the year 2000, it was about double the average salary. And now it's about two and a half times the, the median salary um, that MPs get paid. Um, but as you say, MPs, uh, I mean, we're about the middle of the table when it comes to paying MPs. And okay. um, uh, when you look at what other prime ministers get paid, we, we our prime minister gets paid £160,000 a year, which is very little. Mm. Um, the highest paid head of state in the world is... Uh, can you guess? Head of state, not not prime minister. Well, head of state. I, I, obviously, that includes monarchs, right? Mm. And, so is uh, it uh, the Queen of England? It is not. She no. gets a pitiful like fifty to sixty, seventy million a year or something. Um, the the um, King of Saudi Arabia. Yes, ten billion pounds a year is his allowance nice unbelievable yeah no but the highest paid i think mp in the uh, pms in the world the highest paid prime minister it's quite hard to get data on uh, on mps i didn't have to have time but the prime ministers uh singapore gets about five million um dollars a year then wow. switzerland us australia germany they're all in the sort of multiple hundreds of thousands so we're very much mid-table with our hundred sixty thousand pound um uh, prime minister so i uh, just sort of thinking about okay what now not linking this to paying mps but i was just thinking okay how has the composition of mps changed over the last hundred years mm. um it's actually changed quite a lot in fact uh over the last just over the last sort of 40 years i mean in in uh 2019 something i i reckon about 30 percent of mps were at um well, had been to fee-paying schools. So let's use that as a kind of measure of are they are they Sorry, posh? 2019. Okay. So, so it's about 30, we're talking about roughly 30% of MPs okay. privately educated. So let's say that's that's a kind of upper middle class background kind of thing. Uh, in 1979, it was about 50%. Mm. And, and I, I, 
really you can't you can't get this data other than by hand but it would not have been far off 100 percent in the year 1900 and I, I just as a little bit of a kind of sample i looked at the first ramsay mcdonald so the first labor prime minister the first uh ramsay mcdonald ministry 1924 and compared it to that of viscount salisbury in 1900 so yeah. this is before and sorry, after and before um mp's pay was it was introduced uh i couldn't find anyone who hadn't been to sort of Eton or rugby or harrow in 1900 who was a minister um they they're probably there i just might not have uh clicked on them or they might not have had the had the data um but in in ramsey mcdonald's first ministry he himself was the son of a farm laborer and was not uh was um not privately educated obviously uh, viscount snowden son of a weaver arthur henderson who was the home secretary he was an iron molder um and and uh, I mean, obviously, there were uh, J.R. Clines, who was the Lord Privy Seal. He was a, an Irish labourer's son. So, I mean, really genuinely a bunch of working men. Mm. Um, it is hard to imagine how that could conceivably they could have existed on their own private means, um, you know, and, and managed to do the job of, uh, you know, of a, of a government minister. So I think it's fair to say that paying paying MPs has had. Uh, it seems to have had an effect of enabling, um, you know, a much wider range of people to be able to get into uh, uh, Parliament. So, it feels, sorry to interrupt. It feels similar mm. to the issue more recent of paid internships versus free internships, right? Yeah, uh, for the same reasons. Because when it was when it was unpaid internships, exactly, it's all you just get a load of like, you know middle class kids whose parents can look after them. So, I think the I think the answer has to be more than zero. Although it's not as if the 19th century didn't produce some political giants. I mean, we did have, you know, Benjamin Disraeli and uh, and uh, Gladstone and um, Pitt the Younger uh, when we weren't paying them. You know, contrast that with the Matt Hancocks and Alistair Darlings and Boris Johnsons of today. You know, is that an improvement mm. to mm. discuss? But the, the point is that, you know, clearly um, if we want MPs, maybe you want our all our MPs to be, uh, you know, Eton, Harrow, Oxbridge. But if we don't, then we have to pay them something. And and then it gets more complicated. Yeah. Chris, anything to add at this point? Well, only in as much as within our system, you know, there there are particular positions. So, you know, an MP represents their constituency and, and uh, you know, um, carries on in, in Parliament. But government ministers or um, certain positions... Uh, within um parliament like speaker of the house and so on uh you know that they carry additional uh money so the prime minister on top of his mp salary gets an extra um 80,000 effectively to, you know taking it up to 160,000 uh but the um but if you're a chair on a select committee uh you get an extra 16,000 you know if you're speaker of the house you get an extra uh, seventy-five thousand-ish. So you, you're almost as well paid as the the prime minister for being speaker of the the house, um, and so on and so forth. And you know, cabinet ministers. Um, if you are, uh, you, you'd get an extra seventy thousand, and you know, and then it trickles down in terms of government responsibility. So there are sort of legitimate uh, ways within the political system of earning more more money so you know if you're just an mp i say just an mp um you, you know um that's obviously a responsible position but if you if you don't have other responsibilities beyond that you have a certain salary and then 
rightly so, I think. You know, if you uh, carry additional governmental responsibilities, you you um, accrue uh, uh, more money. But um, mm. but I think, and you know, that in itself can also be an intra. You know, that that. Um, the, the, the accumulation of additional money can itself also be an incentive for, you know, um, uh, aspiring to government positions. And I, I know, you know, um, having worked in private offices previously, I know that, um, you know, some some ministers kind of needed to have those positions um, to in order to support their you know, their outgoings, things like school fees and, and so on and they're so privately, forth. So that their privately educated yeah. so kids, privately could educated be kids could be MPs continue in the, the circle. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I, I, um, I've known it. I've known it the opposite as well as a, the, being a minister as a, as a disincentive for, for a, because although you get more money, you won't get as much money as if you're um, advising. Able to, if, you're, if you're Jeffrey Cox, for example, uh, um, yeah. who was, uh, um, I think, over the last year, as a as a you know a highly paid lawyer um yeah. uh, advocating on behalf of um uh, the various um various clients including foreign governments yeah. uh, but as uh, nearly a million pounds doing doing that while being by, while being an mp so so yeah they they um that's right it, it being yeah. a, and that's subsequent to his cabinet position which uh, obviously got in the way of him earning all that money. So, yes, yeah. that's right. Look, let's cut to the chase. Let's stop being just, just a couple of other... It might just be worth pointing out, Go MPs on. do work quite long hours, right? Yeah. So to even the, the annual salary is probably, you know, once you once you take into account they're probably working 50% longer hours at least, yeah. you know, than, than the average median worker, it probably works out that they're really not that highly paid at all. Yeah. It's probably something like sort of 50 or 60% higher than the median salary yeah. um, per hour. Um Sorry, I just want to pick up something that Chris said. Though, just to, it's about this question of motivation. Of, are I think, and I think Chris is talking about motivation once you're already an MP. Like, obviously, do you know a bit of extra money is you're not going to turn it down. But I don't. I, I mean, just from what I can see, it's from some survey evidence, and admittedly, we're just talking about MPs themselves, but also from my own intuition and experience, is I don't really think politicians are motivated by money. Now, obviously, that's not going to be true in every case. But I think in general, politicians want to do what they want to do for, for two things. One is probably causes. There's the sort of cause side of it, the substance, what you actually want to do. You believe you want to make the world a better place. Um, but also, you know, a desire for power. And I, I suspect they're a much bigger draw than the than the cash side of things. I mean, anyone who's motivated by money is never going to be a politician. I mean, they're going to be doing something else. They're going to be trying to be an entrepreneur or something. So I, I, I'm not sure. I mean, I, I think I think what I'm saying is that, um, you know, we're not, the, we're not anywhere near the level of pay for politicians where we need to worry that people are going into politics for the cash. That, mm. So, so what? If that was a concern, that's a concern about a level of salary substantially higher than where we are now. Yes. And would that necessarily be a concern? You know, because sort of let's let's say, do you do you want people who are going into politics for the um, accumulation of of power? You know, I mean, maybe maybe you don't mean that's you know maybe you do right you want people who are who want to make a difference and you know um have effect on the world but equally um well i'll ask you this question do you, do you know anybody 
who wants to be a, an MP, and it's particularly like young people, if you sort of, mm. you know, think when, you know, graduates are coming to the end of their, their thing. I've, I've come across one or two people I've known who've wanted to be MPs, and mm. they've always been pretty extreme personalities. Whereas I've yeah. known lots of people who've wanted to go into, I don't know, let's say investment banking, right? They don't, mm. they're not interested in investment banking, but, you know, and these are some of the best kind of people, you know, most highly qualified, most talented people that I, that I know. And they're going there purely for for the money. But that industry is attracting people like that. So is would it necessarily, you know, if people, if you're like, oh, well, these people are only going into politics for the money, would that necessarily be a bad thing? Yes. I mean, this is the thing because, you know, somehow it seems like it's OK if you're motivated by power. It's like, OK, well, that's we expect that of politicians. But should we? Like, as you say, I mean, I think the um, this was Plato's solution, wasn't it? it? Was you basically get forced to to be a politician mm. you know there's a kind of rotation that you it's your turn this year because the the assumption being that anyone who actually wanted to be a politician would be bad at it but for that mm. reason because they'd be motivated by the desire to be powerful um and, and i i feel like we can't answer this question i've got a few ways of thinking about it but we can't answer this question unless we decide what we want our politicians to be there for um it, a couple of basic economic observations though is that um you uh there is no shortage it's not like nurses or something where like oh we're worried about there's a shortage of them so we need to pay them more we're not struggling to find no well, there quite the opposite of them either are there, there aren't so. that many but there are still way more than we need i mean there's got to be at least five candidates for every every seat and and so you know that tells you that the supply of willing people who want to be politicians outstrips demand by at least a factor of five and probably substantially higher that's, that's without even talking about nomination from within the party right yeah to get that and, and and if you dropped um the uh, to zero i suspect you would still find that so we whatever this is about it is not about a demand for numbers of people it's not there is no shortage of people willing to do it this is must be about the kinds of people that we're going to get right i think the idea being that the more the the more you ratchet up the salary the bigger the range of people you're going to attract right you're not going to turn people away by paying people right you're not you're not at zero. You're going to get all right. You're going to get wealthy people. But primarily, you, you know, you're not going to get people whose salaries are higher outside. And that includes all kinds of people like teachers and uh, lawyers and, you know, street sweepers. Um, so at zero, you, you, there'll be an oversupply, but it'll be a very select group of people as you raise that that pay up and up and up. You know, you're sucking in more potential people who might think about it, you know, but uh, so. Uh, I suppose what I mean is you're not going to get a CEO leaving his job to become an MP if he's on £10 million a year, right? That just isn't going to happen. But if we paid them £10 million a year, maybe we would. So so the point is that the higher you set that that salary, the bigger the pool of potential people we have. And and the question is, how big do we want that pool to be? Who do we want to exclude? And and if this is the only lever we have, we're basically saying, what's the what's the sort of minimum level of income of people that we want to exclude? Because that's what we'll be doing. You know, we, you, eighty thousand pounds. You've already got the, You've already got people who are whose alternatives are teaching 
or social work, right? You've already got those if you're paying them £80,000 a year. The question is, do we want people who are currently paid even more than that? Do we want to get more senior level executives into into Parliament? You know, do we want to get CEOs? Do we want to get, you know, big shot lawyers and uh, footballers? That That's that's the question we're, we're asking now. What's the answer? Yeah, look, should we actually try and have a crack at this? Do we want to, do we, I mean, do we just want to talk about this theoretically? Or do we want well, to... we could we could we could potentially conclude with what we think the the right amount to pay MPs is, but um, and come up with an actual figure. But I think I think there's more theoretical space to sort of to sort of go in because um, the, the well the other the other side of the coin. So Nick's talking about attracting people in, and you know I, I'm sort of more focused, I suppose, on once you've got people in, what does their salary do to their behaviour? Because I think most of the cases of um of corruption uh, or or you know what might be classified as as corruption within government don't come from brand new MPs they usually come from MPs getting towards the end of of their time where they're taking you know their their sort of place for 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 granted so you know uh, they're obviously still working out exactly what happened with Owen Patterson but but taking him as an example you know he's not a brand new MP and in fact you know, they they talked a lot about um, within the Conservative Party itself this big division between the new influx of MPs from northern constituencies and different backgrounds for whom eighty two thousand pounds was. Uh, I mean, they phrased it in the. Uh, there was some quote from a unnamed MP saying, "You know, for them, it's all the money in the world," and f- you've got this. Um, you know, these Shire Tories from from southern. Uh, rural um, constituencies for for whom it's nowhere near enough money, you know, and so they're having to to um, so you had this tension between people saying, "Don't be so greedy, you're going to lose us our seats," and these people saying, "Well, we've got to do this because you know we've got school fees to pay or or, or, or whatever it is." So mm. I'm, I'm sort of more focused on when you've got you know when you've got them in place. Are are you um, so they might have been attracted by the power, but somebody basically somebody who's been a minister and is coming down back down through their career and is a, a backbencher somewhere. Those are the ones you want to worry about. I think they're the you know the corruption danger. And at that point, you know the question is: Would giving them more money uh, reduce the the risk of? of corruption, assuming corruption is something you want to avoid, right? Uh, and also something you alluded to there a, a, a little bit, Chris, is the other thing we've not really discussed is what's... So let's say we all agree, everyone, it, we, we work out a formula and we all discover that actually the best amount of pay that every MP should receive is £1.2 million a year, right? That's what's... It, that's, yeah. And then suddenly you've got to present that to the electorate. Yeah. Um, so there's, you know, what's politically acceptable as yeah. well. That's, that's um, right. Which which is always the stumbling block, which is why MPs pay is very difficult to mm. to um, to increase. And when they when they rejigged it all, I don't know about a decade or so ago, when they had the expenses scandal, they basically took expenses away and gave more salary, and it it went up like ten or eleven percent or something. But actually, in real terms, they they probably lost money. Mm. Um, but there was you know th- th- that caused kind of public public outcry um, yeah but what one of the things I looked at I, I'm not I'm not sure how um, uh, insightful or illustrative it, it was but I, I sort of had a look at um, the the national corruption index right uh, for for different countries and I looked at the pay 
um, of uh, heads of states of governments mm. um, as expressed as a, uh, um, uh, a percentage of um, GDP per capita. Okay. Um, and uh, just looked at the relationship between it. Mm. And it was actually... I, I, it was actually quite weak, um, okay. but the relationship that there was essentially showed that um, in, in countries where you're paying more money to the head of state, there is more corruption, right? Mm. So, but, but of course, there you're t looking at which way around is the relationship mm. going, right? Are you in a country that's, that's got more corruption and therefore you can trouser more money because, you know, that's the way things, things go? Yeah. Um, so, so uh, you know, I think it's actually difficult to get an insight into whether or not paying more leads to less, less but corruption. But presumably that's meant to be their salary, right? <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, so and, and and plus or what whatever else they're getting well from, that's you know. yeah i mean so there's i think there's two there's a tension here uh between you know corruption in different places i'd say sort of ad officium versus in officio which is that you know if you're if you pay them loads then you know once they're there there's less i mean they'll let's say they'll need money less i mean that's very contentious the idea that you suddenly stop needing money above a certain amount but let's just assume that's part of it that they you know they're less motivated to be corrupt because you know that money is worth a bit less to them but also mainly because they're you know especially in britain where we've got, we've got pretty hardcore about corruption um that you're very likely to lose your office so you know if you um that then provides quite a big incentive to stay on the level right if you're getting huge amounts of money and you stand to lose it by being caught then that's a good deterrent but of course the more money you pay people in office the more incentive there is to corruptly find your way there mm. um you know and 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 you then start thinking well you know if you were going to get paid 10 million pounds a year as an mp yeah vote rigging it's, suddenly becomes yeah, it's suddenly incentivized much, yeah. much more uh, worthwhile to try and pay people to vote for you and all of those kinds of things so yeah i i mean you know the the idea of well let's pay them absolutely let's just pay them loads and and you know it's not going to cost the exchequer very much even that if that number is really high um because there's only 650 of them you know so let's let's just crank that pay right up well then i think you will get you would start to see you know all of these problems about people yeah. trying you know using yeah. underhand corrupt methods to get into power mm. um but yeah as you say i don't think the evidence suggests there's really a strong correlation between no. the wages of mps and corruption and you know italy dare i say which has one of the some of the highest paid uh mps in europe uh and is not does not have a reputation for you know being famously uncorrupt so um yeah the guy I, I think corruption is one of those things which feels like it's important but actually there's not very much evidence that it, it really makes that much of a difference so so i think it does come down you know the question is come does come down to well how much you know how much do we want to um yeah what who do we want in parliament yeah for yeah, but but also yeah, the, the issue of corruption and maybe this is what you were saying as well. It it just ties into so much other stuff to do with you know cultural norms, history, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Yeah, and I, I, I yeah, well, I feel I feel like um, at the moment what you've what you've got is a situation where um, you know a lot of uh, a lot of MPs, um, particularly in the the Conservative Party, um, have not not a lot, lot but a significant number. Um, and certainly in previous governments, have made their money already, right? So, so they they are the you know they they're the, are the equivalent of you know in years gone by the sort of landed gentry who, who yeah. turn up and do that. It's not quite 
that's not quite fair but um but effectively they're not this their income as an mp is is not important uh as important to them um and you get you know people coming quite a lot of um cabinet ministers at the moment you know with backgrounds in um finance for, you know for for example uh where you know they they have made that transfer so so even you know they might have had a much higher salary elsewhere but effectively the fact that they had that for a number of years uh and the fact that they've got that background now they've come into this position you know they they know whether they're calculating this or not they have the the reassurance that in uh you know 10 years time when their political career might have finished and they've you know retired from parliament they can go back into that world presumably and earn substantially more because they were chancellor of the exchequer so you know there, there's a there's a hidden value of being um of of being a politician uh that affects future future earnings potentially yeah. for those younger ones for the older ones they're not worried they've got their money and they've they've come out but what i think you're missing with with 80,000 is you're missing sort of people who are on the way up you know who've got big aspirations um and don't want to sacrifice uh their earning potential by you know by spending 20 years in in parliament mm. effectively so so i think there's a tranche of sort of um people who aren't in the public sector already you know and perhaps you know um working in uh teaching and and so on um but who are you know ambitious maybe the kind of people you would want in parliament but you're missing them out because all they see is high levels of hassle with low levels not low levels of pay but not not high level commensurate high levels of pay um and also one thing we've not talked about i mean this exists everywhere but is the issue of job insecurity as well uh we've yeah. not talked about that um look we we need to sort of move move towards finishing um i was hoping we would get on to lobbying a little bit i wanted to talk about lobbying in in the UK versus the US, for example, but I don't feel we've got time to discuss that properly. Um, to finish off, I mean, do we want to answer this question? I mean, do you think it's the yeah, system is, is 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 good as it is now? Is that is that fine? That works. Or I mean, first of all, this question: Should we pay them more or not or less? Um, second, is this issue: What do we think about outside interests? Um, invested in so let, let, let's talk or even put a figure on some of this stuff so did you say it's 82 grand a year that's like yeah. your, your, your box standard MP that's what they get at the moment is that the right amount and so one is that the right amount should it be different and if so what and two should we allow um, lobbying or pay you know paid for second jobbing do we allow second jobs uh, Chris well as I as I think I've indicated I, I think we're we're probably not in the right place at the moment um mm. i mean it, it sort of basically what you're what you're talking about is um you know medium pay in london for example which is obviously where the mps are are based uh is um or, or salary is is about forty thousand, and this is about twice that and i feel like being an mp uh is more than twice the level of responsibility and difficulty of of a, a an average job um and so so i feel like it's not it's not the right amount um and i've i've heard lots and lots of people say and you, you know um you can sort of talk about um privilege but i've heard a lot a lot of people say uh when when discussed i'd never be an mp because why why would i do all of why would i take all of that potential hassle 
for that amount of money. So so I think in a lot of people's you know minds, they're sort of thinking there are a lot easier ways to earn eight eighty-two thousand pounds, even though that's a, a very you know respectable salary. If you wanted that money, there are a lot easier ways to do that. And um, so, yeah. How much would you pay them? Uh, well, I I think you sort of want to be. Um, I think you want to be really um, put setting people into the top percentages of of um, of earnings. So I would say an MP salary um, would be you know whatever the let's say the the top fifth percentile of of salary. You know something like a hundred eighty or two hundred thousand um, pounds mm. would would be. A, a good amount to incentivize people getting in there without setting it so high that people are then going to be buying off the vote you know it's not gi- giving you uh, okay. enough money to make it worth vote rigging and second jobbing uh I, I think if you're paying people that money you can then justifiably say you know you're con- con- contracted to to do this in the say you know and that any second jobbing that um, I mean, if people write a newspaper article and they get paid, you know, two hundred pounds to write their newspaper article, I, I I sort of feel like that's that's okay. So they, you know, there'd probably be a threshold of because yeah, I don't think there are, any, there are any rules. There aren't any rules about how much time you can spend and how much money you can earn from um, from outside interest. So I, I feel like you would set some sort of bar that says. You know, you can do things up to, say, £10,000 or something. And also setting a time limit as yeah. well. Okay. Okay. That's clear. Nick? Okay, here's my system. <laughs> New first-time MPs get paid 100000 quid a year. Yeah, yeah. Every subsequent re-election that you get in, you get an extra 100000 Oh, wow. Right? And, and so, you know, if you were there for, say, 40 years, you might be on a million quid. Uh, if you're the father of the house now the well the, the point here is that you is that it it solves some of the problems we've talked about like let's assume 100,000 pounds is the right amount to attract people but um it then uh it means that there's the same incentive for corruption every time you're standing for election because you're always standing to get an extra 100,000 pounds a year um and it also solves this problem of sort of the later stages of someone's career, um, you know, suddenly needing a top up because you're getting mm-hmm. the top up through your salary. And it also means it becomes a viable career for those, uh, you know, for, for people early on who might think, well, OK, £100,000 is quite a lot of money, but it won't seem like a lot of money in, you know, 30 years time. But it, but actually in 30 years time, it'll be closer to a million. Um, so I, I, there you go. That's that's my proposition. I think it's a disastrous idea. It's a brilliant um, idea. What? Because some seats will be way more valuable than others. Why? Um, because some seats be are safe safer seats. than others. Yeah. Um, so if you're a Tory MP, sorry, if you're an MP or the, or, or, or the constituency of uh, South Kensington or whatever, or Chelsea, then that's going to be a really valuable seat. No, but that's because, too, no, 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 because it's no different to now, is it? Like, that's true now. And, and there's no shortage yeah, but of people you're, standing at no, standing for no, unheard no. of. But if you're in a marginal, yeah, but you're getting rewarded for yeah. you're not necessarily. If, if being you're a in a marginal, MP. you're 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 going to have to work much harder for your hundred thousand each time than yeah. somebody who sat in a safe a safe seat somewhere no, who, who knows right from the beginning. Wait a minute, if I land this gig. You know, I'm set for life. Yeah, I'm set. Yeah, but for bear life, in mind exactly. that then you're not necessarily. I mean, MPs do get shunted around, don't they? 
So they're not wow. they're, That's still a thing. I think I think with a bit of creativity, your idea could work, though, Nick. So what you mm. could do, for example, yeah, you could have is you can have if we so first of all we decide to define what safe safe seats are. Now, I know there are issues around no, that. No, but I let, think you're overcomplicating it. No, 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 no. You're going to like this. Um, so you define what a safe seat is, but percentage then, majority at the last election or something. So you boom, that's done. And then what you do, if you actually are in a safe seat and you want to continue in that safe seat, you have to do something like a, a Russian roulette test um, at the end at, for every election. OK, and so you can be in that seat. But each time, yeah, you have to or, or something similar. Well, a better, you know? a more economics way of doing it would be to auction those seats off. So, you know, that MPs effectively auction, bid for using their salary and future salary. They bid for being having the right to stand uh, at certain seats, so you know, a safe seat would you'd get paid less. Simple yes, as that. Except, horse trading going yeah, on. Yeah, and as well. I think so. Yeah, yeah I think the, my you, system has the virtue of simplicity. Yeah, it doesn't sound. It sounds less simple than the system we've got now. Well, it is, but but it's better because it solves some of the problems we've talked about. I mean, if you if you well, think, think the system we've got now is problems. perfect, then yeah, I just, what I'm saying is it, thinking about the level of salary. I think misses the point. You know, it's actually we've got to be thinking about um, the incentives in office and the incentives coming to office and the kinds of people you attract. They're not attracted by level of salary. It's just not how it works. You know, people are attracted to the idea of some kind of career career progression, which this sort of reflects. Plus the yeah. fact that actually, you know, a 20, an MP who's been there for 20 years is likely to be just a better MP. Um, um, but it's not. I mean, just to say that MPs or people who go into politics are not interested in money; they're interested in power and doing good. It's not devoid. It's not completely detached from uh, issues around money, though, is it? Because otherwise, we wouldn't have some of the issues that we've been having, where people, you know, yeah, there's always going to be corrupt scumbags. I don't think. We can yeah, I think. I think it's that. when their power comes to an end. That's when they're now they're they're, they're sat there pretty impotent as a as a, a back a backbench mp who's never going to have another cabinet position you know and is on on the margins and that's when they're looking to feather their nest other other ways i think yeah um i mean you, i mean i say this with hesitation because you guys will have known far more politicians than me but um i've known a few politicians like established politicians they've always seen quite you know okay people to me I've only ever known one or two people who were aspiring politicians, and certainly one of them who was at school was just an utter scumbag, um, and and just and actually quite a nothingy kind of person, and um, and th yes. thankfully he didn't you know he was not elected, um, but he does seem to the run a very successful works. company. But right. yeah, um, I think we're, we're out of time. It's been quite long. Um, I, I've got no question I want to ask. Um, I mean, I was thinking about asking if you thought about being an MP or something like that, but I don't no, really hate know. it. Yeah, no, I wouldn't. I just, I think I would hate it. Chris, would you hate it? Yeah, I think it would be one of the worst jobs you could do. Yeah, I think I agree. Okay, we'll stop there. Uh, thank you, as always, for listening to the Cognitive Engineering Podcast. I'm Fraser McGrew. We've been here with Chris Rag and Nate Hare of Aleph Insights. Thanks, as always. Um, until next time, goodbye.